Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye Jr. Uh, my first guest is Senator Bob Hasegawa. He's a member of the Capital Project Review Advisory Board, CPAR. Uh, it's an entity that uh, Irene Ray is, uh, is a member of, and she is uh, uh Excel supply company known as the Glove Lady. And uh, we, there's been a lot of talk about how there could be a, this whole process could be more inclusive because we know it's comprised of individuals that do have their interests. So uh, uh, Senator Bob Hasegawa has the unfortunate experience of being in Honolulu, Hawaii right now. And he stepped out of his meeting, his conference, uh, so he could address my listening audience. We certainly appreciate him sacrificing his time because he has to make a point on how affordable housing should be funded. We know that's important to a lot of people all across the country. So, Senator Bob, uh, thank you very much. And while we wait for Irene Reyes and Bob Armstead to join us, why don't you tell us a little bit about the conference that you've been participating in? Oh, uh, yeah, Brother Ryan. Uh, nice to talk with you. Yeah, I'm at, uh, it's called the Council of State Governments. And so it's um, elected legislators from all around the country um, talking about policy issues of different sorts. And so the one I just got pulled out of was the housing conversation, which I think our whole housing strategy is off base. You know, it's all about giving tax breaks to developers and a reliance on developers to meet our housing shortage crisis. And developers are never going to do that because it's not in their financial interest to do that. So we, we need to re, revamp our social housing strategy and go back to what we used to do and just fully fund it to make sure that those projects are maintained as well as built. So anyway, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. But that's quite all right, because what you're talking about is relevant all across the country, uh, Senator Hasegawa. Uh, yeah, what do you, you see the obstacles all being? The strategies that they're proposing, none of them have to do with actually meeting the need. Give us an example of uh, what's being proposed and what is your counterproposal? Oh, my counterproposal. You know, back in the, they talked about the Housing Act um, back in 1949, you know, and the, the federal government said it was a goal to provide affordable housing for everybody in the United States. And, you know, we're so far behind that goal right now. So we had a paradigm shift in our strategy, you know, before we used to, we used to have, the public is the only entity that can afford to build as much housing as we need to make sure that everybody is housed and that it's affordable. And uh, we shifted from that strategy of public housing. Number one is because they gave it a bad name. They wouldn't fund the maintenance levels to keep that public housing uh, top quality. But uh, number two is there was uh, this whole shift uh, Basically, in my mind, it was around the Reagan eras when it was all about Reaganomics and, and trickle-down economy and benefiting the, the people that have money more over the people who need the uh, resources. So we shifted our housing building construction paradigm from public housing to developer-based housing, and that was the key mistake. So what, to me, what we need to do is go back to public building the housing and maintaining and we could build beautiful communities that incorporate small business facilities and clinics local clinics and local classrooms and all that stuff into our communities 
Um, but we're not doing it. We're just giving big tax breaks to developers, expecting them to build enough housing to meet our need. And that ain't never going to happen. Yeah. Well, you know, that brings us to uh, another point of conversation about how the state uh, operates in terms of, uh, of uh, approving projects. And Bob Armstead, the president of uh, the Washington Chapter National Association of Minority Contracts has joined us. He also uh, has been following CPAR very closely. And uh, uh, I would just like to say in terms of uh, 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 Bob, uh, your perception, uh, uh, Senator Hasegawa, are you representing the Senate on that committee, Senator Hasegawa? Yes, I'm the Senate Democratic Caucus um, appointee to the CPAR. It's a non-voting okay. position. Oh, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> Who does have votes? The people that have personal interests? Well, they're, yes, <laughs> but they're, okay. they're representing their um, professional bases, whether it's higher ed or K-12 education or, and then there's the um, different trades associations, uh, owners, uh, developers, um, other and people. And I assume they all have votes. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, and so in terms of getting some equity out of it, you've been following this for a little while now. And I guess for a long time, you were kind of lonely out there by yourself in terms of advocacy. But I know that uh, Irene Reyes, uh, uh, the glove lady from uh, Excel Supply Company, has been on the committee. And she does not bite her tongue. She's rather specific about the, uh, the shortcomings of the process. So I would just like to have... Uh, Barb, I'm said briefly just say what his observations are, because we've had a conversation. We know what it is, but it's very important for the listeners and the public to know what's going on with taxpayers' dollars and what processes are, are being utilized to uh, make those decisions and, and distribute that money. Because we know, uh, looking at uh, the last report from the Office of Minority Women Business Enterprise, uh, uh, all minorities together, I don't think they are 2%. And African-Americans did 0 0.11, 0.18. I'm giving myself too, uh, too little there. But Native Americans did 0 0.11. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of folks down in the, in the, in the minority caucus, and we hope that uh, a lot more attention is paid to economic parity in this upcoming session. But I'd like to have Bob, who's father, sing for a little while, go ahead and kind of give his observations. And also... Uh, Talk about how the public and the people who are uh, advocates uh, in the in the public arena, how they can be advocating on behalf of equality in this process. So go right ahead, Bob. Uh, thank you, Eddie. <clears throat> and um, thanks to uh, Senator Hasekawa for, uh, for being on the meeting today. Uh, it was actually a um, four plus hour meeting. And you mentioned, uh, Irene Reyes. I, Irene should um, receive thanks and applause from all of the uh, women and minority business owners in the state. She feels spends an exorbitant amount of time uh, with these committees. And as you stated earlier, she speaks out. She speaks out for the uh, community and for fairness. And Example, the meeting, you know, today being four hours, and there are several other that she's on. But to speak CBAR specific, and I had an opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, 
to make a comment at the uh, beginning of the session. Um, there was a uh, public comment uh, period about uh, 20 minutes into the session. And one of my statements to the committee, because I wanted it on the record, is that we are going to look for uh, the state legislature and the governor's office to provide assistance to us in helping to change some of the policies and practices at CBARD, uh, starting with the composition of the committee. Uh, the way the, the committee is presently uh, composed, there are representatives from each of the industry groups in construction. And rather than having a state focus and a state purpose, uh, they it appears to me that they're there solely to promote the industry section that they happen to be uh, from, whether that's uh, construction, engineering, labor, what have you. So what we currently have in my observation from attending the meetings is that you have the voting members. And as Senator Hasakawa said, there are four elected members on the committee, but they're all non-voting. It's just the one from the industry groups that are the voting members. Uh, and what they do is to promote, protect, and push that, that industry group. And example, uh, the Small Works uh, roster was one of the agenda items for today. And one of the um, uh, avenues that the, the state has chosen to help correct the problem that you identified, Eddie, with the 1% and less participation is to make changes to the small works roster so that uh, minorities and women and small businesses will have an opportunity uh, to participate in uh, with C. Barbet's construction. Uh, Bob, I want to ask Senator Hasegawa, you may have hit a key point. Senator Hasegawa, is there any possibility of generating or creating legislation to hear some of these problems? I'm sorry, Eddie, you're kind of breaking up, but I think I got what you were saying about the uh, possibility of getting legislation. Yeah, Bob just mentioned possibly getting legislation to solve this problem. I was just wanted to ask you as a legislator and one of the leaders in the Senate uh, what the possibilities were. Well, there's a couple of things going on. First, I, I want to observe that CPARB is a, operates from a consensus basis. So unless you can get everybody agreeing to do something, CPARB is just not going to push it. So CPARB generally isn't the place if you want to see social change, to push for social change. That's got to happen in the legislature, and then you've got to have 76 votes to get anything done. You got to have 50 votes at least in the House, 25 in the Senate, and then you got to get the governor to sign off on it. That's 76 people that have to say, yes, we want to see this comprehensive social change. So, yes, there is the possibility of getting something done. 
it's an uphill fight, uh, given that CPAR, as a group, uh, operating from consensus, wants to more or less maintain their equilibrium and status quo, although they are going through a cultural shift. I will say this for the last couple of years, since we started getting more and more people of color into some of those industry positions that Bob was talking about, uh, we're starting to create that cultural shift and appreciation for the, their own self-interest to diversify their industries and get more uh, certified participation into these contracts. So uh, whether or not the legislature will be willing to accelerate that process uh, remains to be seen. Okay, we, Irene Reyes, uh, a CPAR member, also an NAMC member has joined us. And since uh, she got on a little late, we are, you know, I want to make sure she has the time because she's sitting in the hot seat. So Irene, why don't you go ahead and share with our listeners your perspective of what's happening at CPAR and you might have a suggestion or two, but you and uh, Senator Bob and uh, President Bob, we have to have a conference after this so we can work effectively to do something on behalf of the people. So go right ahead, Irene. And I agree with, good afternoon, everyone. And um, I agree with Senator Hasegawa. I think there is a culture shift right now happening at CPARB. And I've been involved for more than five years, I think six years now. And what, 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 you know, let's go back to why it was created. It was to enhance the quality, efficiency, and accountability of public works contracting, right? So 17 years later, it was established in 2005. So 17 years later, hey, the demographics and the characteristics of the demographics have changed. I believe it is time to revisit the bylaws, the policies, the procedures, and its composition. But it's going to take a while because there's always a consensus decision-making body. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, talking in the committee or outside of the committees. And it's, it, you know, it's a challenge. And, you know, we're going to go through this. I believe, you know, uh, we have, you know, people that are willing to listen and willing to work together for the common good. And I think that's about it. Thank you. Bob Hosgall, you want to make a remark on that before you go back to your conference? No, I'll, I'll hang with you for a bit. Okay. Okay. So, uh, anyway, we're going to have to, we got some more folks coming on at, at, uh, in a couple of minutes. So, Bob Armstead. How can we get the community involved, and especially members of the clergy that have a captive audience several times a week? And it's in our community's best interest to have people with opportunities, as you well know. Uh, we have to do it through the legislature, uh, Eddie. Uh, we have to have legislative changes to the composition of CBAR. We have to have legislative requirements that there be accountability at CBARB, which there's not now. And we have to have an opportunity to include more community members onto CBARB so that as Irene stated, there will be representation there. Right now there's not. And if we wait for CBARB to make those changes, it just will not happen. A very quick example, 
today on the Small Works roster. They were doing some things and they were making some changes, not to the extent that I would like, but they were making some changes. But then they did things like put requirements on those changes that will totally prevent them from ever happening, such as requiring that for a project that there has to be at least six firms uh, that are willing, wanting, and able to do that project before they can do those things that they're making changes for. And as an example, well, six to 10, you know, some of the people wanted 10. Uh, there's not a requirement that there be 10 contractors bid to do the Alaska Way Viaduct project. There's not 10 contractors required to build these billion dollar treatment plants and the uh, effluent transfer systems that go with them or the highways or the airports. So they're putting more requirements for the participation on the small works roster than there is to do a billion dollar project. So nothing okay. will happen I just want to say we're, we're out of time. I'm sorry we didn't have more time, but I'm on every Thursday, so we can certainly come back and keep the public and our listeners engaged. And like I said, I think it's a good idea. The legislation is great, but we have to have education first. And I think if we laid something out to all the members of the clergy and all the progressive people and organizations, I think we could do a lot, a lot to get uh, uh, the legislators persuaded to take the corrective action. So y'all are welcome to hang on because we have a sister by the name of Sean Glaze and Patricia Davis, and they're doing a gigantic study. So you might want to listen to them. So Eric, we're going to take this break and come right back. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an Orca card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Live Rail station or to learn how to get an Orca card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at Port Seattle. Org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Ready to shake things up? Try Alternative Talk 1150. Whenever you hear that song in my neighborhood, that means it's Christmas is almost here. 
But I want to introduce a dynamic young individual by the name of Sean Glaze, and she is uh, the CEO of Inner Solutions. They, give it to me, uh, Sean. Sure. Uh, I, hello, y'all. I am Sean Glaze. I use they, them pronouns, and I am the Chief Consulting Officer for Inclusive Data. It's good to hear y'all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also, you are just about or you just received a doctorate degree or you're in the process of doing that? I'm so close, so close that I cringe every time I think about it. <laughs> okay, why don't you why don't you share with our listeners exactly what the project you're engaged in? I've been we had Corbett on and I also let him know that we will be doing something regular because this is an ongoing process. So mm -hmm. why don't you share with us exactly uh, which which what the kind of uh, project you're undertaking right now? Sure. Um, hello, listeners. I'm so geeked, so excited to be here today. Um, I'm talking about the community reinvestment plan today. That's the $200 million that's going into community to address the harms caused by the war on drugs. And unlike usual plans where you know, a group of people sit and come up with ideas by themselves. This plan uh, gets to involve you, yes, you, and helping to direct those funds into our community. So I'm really excited to talk about it here today. And uh, where is information available? You have a, guys have a, a website. How can people get information about your project? And uh, when did it start? And what and what are the goals of the project? And how can people participate in the $200 million? Sure, absolutely. So first things first, uh, I love a good website. So uh, if you were to go to wa-reinvest.com, that's wa-reinvest.com, uh, you will see information about this community reinvestment plan. Y'all, this community reinvestment fund is all about making sure that our communities that have been harmed by the war on drugs are able to get this funding. And when I say harms by the war on drugs, you might be thinking, what does that mean? Uh, and uh, that's actually one of the questions that Washington State wants to know, like how does this com community define it? Um, for some people, it's about uh, race, because when you look at the impact in our communities, Black folks, Native folks, Latinx folks in particular, were hit hard by the war on drugs. Uh, the policies were designed to, um, you know, really like over surveil, over incarcerate, over everything, um, those racial groups. But for some people, it's about thinking about not just the design, but the enforcement, you know, like there being just like a lot more, let's just say not a level playing field. We see this when we see things like um, all these uh, uh, cannabis shops, dispensaries, whatever you want to call them popping up. And you see faces that maybe don't look like yours uh, behind the corner, making a lot of money. And then you see maybe faces that do look like yours that are still locked up for the same thing. Um, so just that kind of disp disproportionate impact is something that this, this uh, community reinvestment plans designed to address. And it's 200 million. Um, that's a lot of funding that can go into community. And uh, if you were to ask me where, uh, that's where y'all come in. Um, as long as your ideas are in line with what we already know, so economic development, um, violence prevention and intervention, uh, civil assistance, legal assistance, lawyers and stuff, as well as reentry services, people coming back from incarceration. 
Um, and those are the same categories we heard a lot in 2020 and 2021 when we asked a very similar question in Seattle, but this year is statewide. So that's what it's about, 200 million to address the impact of the war on drugs um, and how it disproportionately impacted our communities. And uh, we're looking for feedback from you, yes, you, to tell us where that money should go and how it should get there. Now, what about uh, programs that will prevent folks from going to jail? Uh, I'm just curious about that. Get provide people with some skills so they can uh, uh, navigate through the the whole employment process. So I was just trying to figure out uh, uh, what about programs like that. Do you have any kind of guidelines or or any kind of uh, descriptions of what can be proposed and what the targets are and what the priorities are? Absolutely. So the good news is that right now, so this is being recorded broadcast December 8th, 2022. Uh, this is exactly the time that I'm looking to hear more people talk about that because November and December for me has been a lot of finding out about eligibility criteria, you know, what kind of what kind of rules people want to see. And to your question about like, what about prevention? That's where a lot of people are focusing. They're saying, hey, how do we make sure that before people get caught up, there's some support and resources? Before people get in trouble, there's some um, help for their businesses or helping them to buy homes so they can create that stability. Before anything happens, you know, there's something that can be done. So that's definitely been a lot of conversation I've heard so far. Um, we've had a chance to talk to people all across Washington State interviews, focus groups, community events, people coming to our website, wa-reinvest.com and leaving their thoughts. And um, we're still going to continue to hear from y'all throughout the next few months so we can make sure this plan actually aligns with what community wants to see, not just a bunch of, you know, researchers <laughs> in, a, you know, in a room somewhere writing some stuff down. Now, uh, what, what about... Uh... Where does, where, where does the funding come from? Is it state funds? Good question. It is state funds. Um, and one of the things that we um, talked about in the beginning was that there's a lot of misunderstanding about like where this money comes from. You know, some people were thinking, um, oh, is this from the cannabis tax? It's not. You know, some people were like, oh, is this, you know, federal? You know, where is this? Is it local? So this is state money. Um, it's coming through the Department of Commerce. Mm -hmm. um, they're the ones that are going to be um, helping to really make sure that this project is well supported. They're the ones that put out the request for help to make this plan. And they're the ones that hired the Harriet Tubman Foundation for Safe Passage, a Black woman-led nonprofit based out of Tacoma and Seattle, to be able to um, do this work. And then they hired me to help out with the research. So the money for the 200 million though, that's separate, that's gonna come out of Washington state, which means that if y'all are Washington state and you got some elected officials and you wanna tell them to, to put some more weight behind your ideas, I'm just gonna encourage you to do that. That never hurts for them to hear from y'all. But if you wanna tell us directly, um, definitely we wanna visit that WA, dash reinvest.com website to do that. Well, you know, um, we just had Senator Bob Hasegawa on, on the line right before you came on. And so we we do work the legislature. We have no problems with that. 
it'll be good to be able to go back. I think they're still doing in-person stuff. They're going to start back again. It might be a limited edition though with this new strain of flu coming out. And a lot of people not getting a booster or other flu shot. So, mm-hmm. but uh, so we're very familiar with that pro- with the legislative process. But if you could provide like some uh, speaking points that I could share with uh, like the members of the clergy and other social leaders, and uh, also my political contacts who are uh, might be on the Renton City Council, Seattle City Council, or you know the County Council, but they all ha- are members of the state, and so they all have some influence. Uh, in Olympia. So we want to maximize our contacts with those people as well. So uh, the most important thing is getting the word out right now. And then the other thing is is coming up with pro- programmatic ideas. And uh, if they go to the website, they'll get directions on where they can submit uh, any kind of request for funding to help uh, meet your goals. Absolutely. So if you go to that website, which again is wa-reinvest.com, um, I'll give you all a tip. Uh, if you scroll down on that website, you're going to see someone talking, like literally a video talking to you. We've made a summary of what's on the website so you don't have to poke through and read all the things. Um, we also have a really easy way for y'all to talk, literally just kind of talk to us. Um, so you can do it in a video or audio. Y'all could text us. It's all on that website for you. You'll see my face. I look a little too excited because I just love talking to community. So I'm just like, hey, shine. Uh, but yeah, please um, holla at us. Tell us what you think. Um, and I'm going to tell you all like a big juicy. It's not even a secret, but just something real juicy. Usually when they do a report like this, they ask questions like, where do you want to see the money go? And we say things like economic development, home ownership, small business support, physical spaces. I want commercial space, residential space. I want help with my legal stuff. I want youth programs, elder programs, bring our youth and elders together. I want healing and holistic wellness, you know, like all of these things. And you can definitely keep telling us those things, but here's what they don't usually ask you and what makes our project a little different. I want to know what kind of eligibility criteria will help you know that this is for you for real, for real. Because if I'm going to be 100% with y'all, one of the other things that I do um, outside of this project is I help community win grants over 18 million in 18 months. And when I tell you that so many people who look like me, and I am like a darker skinned Black person, for those of you who can't see me, um, so many people who look like me do not get grants. And it's not because we don't want them, right? It's not because we don't need them. It's because a lot of times when people are designing these programs, they're not designing it for us, not really. Like, and they don't know what kind of words we're looking for. They don't know how we talk about what we do. You know, they don't necessarily understand the protocol. So what's cool is if y'all tell me things like, hey, Sean, like making written only grant applications is a terrible idea. And there should be other ways like us being able to do interviews or videos like that's something we can put down in that report with details. What kind of keywords you like, right? Where should they post it? Um, Who should be seen as credible in this space? What kind of outcomes should they have? Like y'all get to decide it, go big so that when we write this down and they put it out there, it's something that community is able to receive like a love letter. Like they know it's just for them. So if y'all can help us make something like that, that's how we can get these 200 million into community. Okay, well, Sean Glaze, thank you very much. 
as I mentioned to Corvette Mosley, that uh, this will be like an ongoing thing because we want to check in with you to see what's happening, what needs to change, and how we can get our people involved in this whole process. Because a lot of times when they put money into the Black community, it goes through a lot of other hands before it gets to our community. So we want to make sure mm. it doesn't happen. I'm glad you're on the case. So thank you very much. We sure appreciate you, and we'll keep up with the project. Thanks so much. Take good care, y'all. Keep listening. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Lim Howell is here because we couldn't yeah. have this program today without Lim Mr. Howell is in the house, Edward. Thank you. We have to have something on Raphael Warnock. And once again, <laughs> a black has saved the country. Okay. So, Lim, uh, you've been a longtime activist, a big time donor. Uh, Lim is with the high rollers when it comes down to the Democratic Party. So, uh, uh, Lim, why don't you uh, share with us? Uh, your enthusiasm for what you witnessed uh, on Tuesday. You know, I can't tell you how impressed I was with uh, Senator Warnock when he came here in the state of Washington for a fundraiser. Eddie, this guy is a heavyweight. I mean, he is 10 times as engaging in person as he is on TV. I mean, he's smart. He's funny. He's witty, and I mean, he he was really, I, I, I really think the state of Georgia has an excellent senator. It was disturbing to me that uh, the Republicans stuck with uh, Herschel. Now, Herschel was a great running back for the University of Georgia, uh, uh, when he won the Heisman Trophy. Don't get me wrong, he's a great athlete. And I suppose in person, he's a, he's a nice person. But I mean, he fibs, you know. He said that he graduated from the University of Georgia and, and the top percentage of his class and all sorts of nonsense. When he did he beat Barack, Barack Obama, beat him playing basketball? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I have to say this about my former president. Barack Obama was very helpful in the race down there in Georgia. He, you know, he didn't, he didn't preach or anything. He got up there and made fun. He said, are we celebrating the vampires or the werewolves tonight? You know, he was really humorous and he really has a good sense of humor and great timing. Eddie Barack has great timing, but let me tell you about Warnock. Warnock has four degrees. He went. He went down to uh, uh, where does every black professional uh, go to in Georgia? Uh, Morehouse. My wife yeah, just yelled yeah. to me. Morehouse, right? He got his degree in psychology at Morehouse, and then he went to Union Theological Seminary, where he picked up three uh, other degrees: uh, masters in theology and so forth, and. He is really engaging, and he's still the minister of Ebenezer Baptist Church down there uh, in Georgia. And he was a real uh, he was a real activist in his youth. But he was he he's really a hard worker and so forth. And I think it was a slap at back black people. You know how Graham. Uh, campaign, he was saying, well, if you vote for Herschel, they can't say we're racist, because Herschel is a black man. 
he you know that really really irks me the more i see of graham is the angry i get at that man he was terrible in the katanji brown jackson uh uh senate judicial judiciary hearings when uh he was disrespectful and didn't give her a chance to answer and was just awful during the hearing as was the senator from Texas, Ted Cruz, and uh, uh, the Holly from uh, Missouri. Missouri. But but I want to tell you, I think this is really good. It is too bad that the Democrats didn't maintain control of the House. But we have a good good guy, Arkeen Jeffries, who is going to be the uh, uh minority leader in the House and hopefully the the speaker when we take over in 2024. Let me say, there's a personal connection. I don't know him, but I know his uncle, Lenny Jeffries. We uh, We went to school together at Lafayette in eastern Pennsylvania, and Lenny was a real, became a real radical and lost his seat for some anti-Semitic remarks that he made where he's a professor of history at City College in New York. Uh, but uh, I was just coming across one of uh, uh, a thank you note he had sent with a picture of he and his wife uh, when we had sent them a present. Uh, and Lenny had a bad thing. He'd always use a profanity. He always said S-H-I, you know the rest. Yeah, and I, I know, was worried I because we, <laughs> Pat and I were first married and he'd use that word. I was, you know, I was hiding my head. But she said of all my friends, she liked Lenny the best. But anyway, really? Lenny, I called him the other day and he said, yes, that Arkeen was a fine young man and so forth. And he went on very formal. He forgot that I knew the old Lenny. He was very formal in it. But anyway, talking about Warnock, Warnock is a hard worker and he'll do wonders for Georgia. And he wasn't bitter or anything uh, with, with his opponents. He said on election night, he'll, you know, he is the senator for all Georgians, even those that didn't vote for him. He's a fine example. This was not, I have to tell you, Eddie, this was not a token Negro. This is the real McCoy. All right? So that we're fortunate that he's in the Senate. Not just the people of Georgia, but people in the United States. Well, Lim, uh, uh, I know we could talk another hour, but anyway, we're out of time. But there's no way I was going to have this program today. Without, without not having the most distinguished Democrat in the state that's not elected, uh, Lim Howe, to make a response uh, to the election of uh, Senator Raphael, the re-election Senator Raphael Warnock. So, Lim, thank you, and I appreciate you taking the time out to share your feelings and your comments with us this afternoon. So thank you very much, sir, and I will be my, in touch. My pleasure. Thanks, Eddie. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay, Eric, we'll take this break and come back back with Attorney Bobby. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, 
especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seatacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150kknw.com. All right, Eddie Ride back with the Temptations in the background. Thank you, Eric, for that. I've uh, been joined by Kate Harris, the, co- the chair of the MLK Organizing, Seattle MLK Organizing Coalition. And uh, I think we do have uh, the vice chair, attorney Bobby Alexander. Are you on, sir? I'm on. I hear you. Okay, well, we're gonna, since he's the vice chair, we'll start with him because he might be in court. So, uh, Bobby, why don't you go ahead and take this opportunity to bring our listeners up to date on what's happening with the Seattle Martin Luther King Jr. Organizing Coalition. They're sponsoring the January 16th, Monday, January 16th, King Holiday event at Garfield High School. Well, Eddie, you know, my purpose in coming on the radio today was actually to uh, ask the community for performers and entertainers that would be willing to volunteer to perform at our celebration. Uh, For years, typically, we have accepted volunteers and we have had a surplus of folks who are willing to entertain potentially thousands of people and get that exposure. But in the last couple of years, we've run into a scenario where people are asking for compensation. And we understand why people ask for compensation. Um, But as an organization, uh, we are trying to to the best of our ability to put together a program with folks who are willing to volunteer their time in the spirit of Dr. King, as opposed to turning this into an event uh, where we have to pay every single performer, as we have so many bills that we have to pay, because this is not a for-profit organization. We don't, none of the employees or, or volunteers, so to speak, are getting paid. It's difficult for us to raise the necessary funding or the requisite talent that this event would require. So what we really look for is people who just want to give back, want to get exposure. And, and really, that was my purpose in coming on today, is to just beg the community uh, for folks who would like to come and participate in our event. Okay. And so uh, we heard Bobby, uh, Kate. So now, and uh, this program, after two hours, I think Eric can let me know, two hours after the live program, it's available on Alexa and my podcast for the next week, and then after that, it's archived on my website. 
So uh, folks can hear what you are commenting on a little later today and throughout the week. So Kate Harris, uh, veteran uh, chairperson of the MLK Organizing Coalition's workshop committee, bring us up to date on where we are with the workshops. So this year we're going to offer about 20 workshops. We're gonna have roughly 10 and 10 um, virtual workshops and in-person workshops. The virtual workshops are gonna take place the week before MLK weekend. Um, on, they're gonna run the 10th through the 12th of January. And then again on the 14th and we'll have three workshops a day. And then we're gonna have around 10 workshops on MLK Day itself at Garfield High School starting at 9.30 a.m. We've got a great lineup this year. So I'm gonna give you just a few examples of, of um, what we have in store. The NAACP Youth Coalition, which formed actually in 2017 at one of our workshops is gonna present its annual slate of demands to the Seattle School District. Um, we have a couple of workshops on reparations. One is gonna be a virtual workshop on what Seattle's process is gonna be in terms of exploring reparations for Seattle. And then we're gonna have an in-person workshop on how to build community support for reparations. We've got um, a bystander intervention training where participants are gonna practice disrupting hate speech, um, a workshop on how to become skilled media consumers through an anti-racist lens, how to identify and combat white supremacist bias in the media. Um, and we're going to have a this is going to be interesting. We're going to have a Know Your Legal Rights workshop for immigrants, and we are going to be doing simultaneous translation into five languages for that workshop. We have a variety of workshops that are around strategies for community healing and strategies for community development in the Black community. So, for example, Wanawari is going to discuss the work they've been doing in the central area around community organizing and supporting black homeowners to, to preserve housing in the CD. So that, that's kind of a flavor of, of what we're gonna be offering. If people have questions about specific workshops, they can email mlkseattleworkshops at gmail.com. And for more information in general, people can look on the website, which is seattlemlkcoalition.org, and the workshops will all be posted there. They'll come online as the specific details for each workshop are worked out. Uh, Attorney Bobby, are you still on the line with us? I am. Okay. I just wanted you to take a, a little time and talk about the upcoming meetings and also uh, just the overall uh uh, status of where everything is right now with uh, the Seattle MLK Organizing Coalition uh, and its uh, uh, work towards the January 16th holiday. Okay. Okay. Uh, so in our organization right now, uh, on average, we have between probably 15 and 20 people per meeting. Uh, we're really winding down here towards the end. Actually, we have one more meeting, uh, which is not this Tuesday, but the following or two Tuesdays from now, 
uh, and then we'll be in January because of the Christmas holiday. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's only 15 days in January before the 16th, so we're really right here at the end, and where where we are is basically choosing the route, selecting the performers from the pool of candidates, um, where Katie is at is choosing which workshops will be offered out of all of the different submissions. So where we are is basically putting the finishing touches on the event. Um, there's also a youth program this year, like every year, that will be on Radio Avenue Radio, uh, that will be broadcast as live. And this year we had four or five youth interns. This is probably our strongest group of interns yet. Um, and we'll be putting together essentially a talent show as well as a uh, what do they call it? Like a fireside chat. So a pretty exciting time for us, but per usual, I do this every year and I'll continue to do this so long as I'm in this position. The, the, the actual organization needs help. We need more people to join. This work is volunteer, but it is heavy lifted. Mm-hmm. And I think that where we're kind of headed, uh, just looking forward in time is a place where, if we don't get more help from the community, it's going to be really difficult for this event uh, to be as consistent as it has been. And that would probably be my, my parting message, which is that we're going to get it done. It's going to be a strong event this year. It's going to be at Garfield. We're returning to Garfield High School being indoors, which I think is really exciting because the last couple of years because of COVID, we've had to make do without that. But we're back indoors. It's going to be great. Hope to see people with the thousands again. Uh, but... More than anything, I really hope that we can inspire some people to join our organization. And I'm certain that the closer we get, you'll probably have a lot more volunteers and uh, folks need uh, to hear this program. Once again, give us the uh, information where people, the listening audience can go in and actually get information. The website address is it seattlemlkcoalition.org? Yes. Okay. So I'll also put that underneath both uh, you you and Kate's picture on uh, my Facebook page, and like I said, this program will be be ran on my uh, on, on Alexa and also on my uh, podcast. So, but Kate, what kind of help do you need in terms of uh, are there any available uh, uh, opportunities for workshops still, or is it closed out? Uh, we've got um, all the workshops in process that that we can handle. So we are not looking for um, new ideas for this year. And uh, what, what is the theme for this year? The theme is our 40th anniversary. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, Bob Armstead wants to know, 40 years ago, I was involved with the first march. And that, that was the protest. The city not putting up the Martin Luther King Jr. Way signs because folks filed a lawsuit. And Mayor Royer wouldn't put the signs up. So uh, we decided to uh, go ahead and protest that and also demand that uh, Dr. King's birthday become a national holiday. And later on in that year, November 2nd, President Ronald Reagan signed the King Holiday Bill the third Monday of uh, January 1986. And four weeks later, the Washington State Supreme Court ruled that the city of Seattle had the authority to change the name of Empire Way to Martin Luther King Jr. Way. And people told me behind the scenes that they wanted us to name something else because Empire Way was State Highway 900, and they would have to put uh, the signs up on the freeway. So what folks tried to do was say, well, I'll tell you what, 
we'll cut the street off at uh, where it intersects with Rainier because the folks on the other side were complaining and they actually filed a lawsuit. Uh, so anyway, that's just a little history. So 40 years later, uh, we got folks like Bobby Alexander and Kate Harris uh, keeping it alive. And uh, Sade is uh, the chair. And last time I heard her talk, she didn't sound that well. So I'm praying for her to get well so she can get back in the fray. I think she might be in town. I don't know, but she, I know she didn't sound too well. So Bobby, you got an update on Sade, Sade Moore, the chair? Sade was just enjoying her birthday, and she's actually in a different country. Like she's on the other That's side. That's what of I thought. Earth. I thought she, yeah, okay. And she so, had a birthday too. Caught her tired on the wrong side of the clock. Okay. Okay. Well, Bobby, I want to thank you and Kate for the work you guys are doing. So, uh, uh, like I said, uh, every week we want to have something on about this event. So I'll rely on you guys to let me know. We might want to have somebody who's going to be on a workshop. Mm -hmm. We might want to have some of the interns on uh, and folks like that. So we did have. Uh, uh, two members, uh, Renaissance and Cliff Wyatt on last week talking about the logistics. And I think Hayward Evans participated because KL could make it. So that was a bring a little. So thank you all very much. I sure appreciate you. Thank okay. you, Eddie. Okay. And we'll have somebody on every week. So I want, before we go to say, give a shout out to Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion with John Tate Robinson, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Department, Jesse Gilliam was the, is the acting director, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Construction Office, Diversity Contracting Office, and that's uh, headed by me and Rice, Josie Regan, and Lawrence Coleman. And also tonight is the Port's Christmas party uh, at 530. I think you have to be invited, so I'm just letting folks know. And then also SeaTac Bar Group LLC, they have the Africa Lounge and the Mountain Room Bar and Concourse A. Uh, Bob, I want to thank you very much, too. And everybody look out for the National Association of Minority Contractors. And we got to do something to get past black folks getting 0.18% of state funding. And next week, we will have the director of the Department of Enterprise Services, Tara, Tara, uh, Tara Smith, will be on. And two weeks from now, we will have a uh, Hamdi Muhammad, uh, Seattle Port Commissioner, on. Okay, uh, thanks very much, Eric. Thank you, Bob, for hanging out with us. And we'll talk to you later.